Well, good morning again, First Alliance Church. It is great to see you all here, those who are in this room and those who are tuning in online. We're glad that you're able to join us this morning. My name is Chen, and I serve as the youth pastor here at First Alliance Church. And I have the absolute pleasure and privilege of giving and sharing God's word with us this morning. So a quick recap from last week. Uh, We started a series uh, called Holy Roar. And Pastor Ben started our series with a powerful message that God is louder than. We spent our time last week in the book of Joel, uh, specifically looking at Joel chapter 1 and chapter 3, verse 16. And in Joel chapter 3, 16, uh, he writes to us, the prophet Joel writes to us, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heaven and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. What a powerful powerful and encouraging passage. Amen? Amen. Amen. So when we read this passage, I, I, I want to encourage us, and, and I ho- encourage us to see the hope that we have when we are in Christ our Lord. This promise that we see in here is one that we cling on to when our world seems like it's falling apart. When we ourselves are faced with fears that eats at our souls, when it seems like the world is just overwhelmingly loud. In those moments, let us remember that God and His goodness and His kindness and His grace and His mercy and His love, He is louder than those things. In our time this morning, we will be focusing on a particular part of our lives that we can all relate to. doesn't matter if you are young or old. All of us have experienced this part called failures. We can all relate. We have all failed at some point in time in our lives from simple task of pouring water into a glass or falling down when you're trying to learn how to ride a bike or failing a standardized test in school. Or maybe the failures that we have gone through isn't necessarily those things, but maybe the failures and the seasons that we've gone through are along the lines of a failed business endeavor or a failed marriage or a failed pursuit of a dream. We have all experienced failure at some point in time in our lives. The subject of failure is often one that is hard to talk about because we tend to sweep it under the rug. We choose to turn a blind eye to it. And, can, and, and for us here, can we just admit that it's easier to talk about victories, right? It's easy to talk about the good things. It's easy to talk about the champ, the, 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 to champion the good things in life. You see, failures, they're not fun. Failures are embarrassing. Failures are scary. Failures are shameful. And when we ruminate and live in that mental, emotional, spiritual state, in that space, our finite, in our finite being, we are prone to believe that that is who we are. That our failures define who we are. 
But let me just say this. That you are here today, not by accident, not by happenstance. You are here today because God wanted you to hear something different. God wanted you to hear from him. So what is it about failures that is so pressing that we have to talk about it today? You see, in a world that idolizes the person who is perceived to not have failures, almost as if they are a superhero with no weaknesses, it is actually contrary to what we see in Scripture and how God works in us and through us. Failure is actually one of the powerful tools and experiences in which God uses to make us holy. Now, the next rightful question that one is to ask when we hear this statement, how in the world is failure a way that God makes us holy? I've asked that before. I've pondered upon that before. How does the failure of my business that I put my life into, my blood, sweat, and tears into, how is that supposed to make me holy? How does my marriage that ended in failure supposed to make me holy? How does the failure of of my pursuit of my dream supposed to make me holy? How does my failing health supposed to make me holy? How, Lord? My heart aches and mourns alongside those who are going through that season. And honestly, at times, being transparent here, at times, as a pastor, I feel like a failure for not having the answer. For not being able to give us and and you guys an answer when you guys seek counsel. And though I cannot give you a direct and defined answer as to why, I believe God's word gives us the clarity of the issues and the things that he wants to invade in, the things that he wants to do within us. And when the failures that we go through in our lives start to root themselves into our identity, into who we are, into our lives, into our souls, he shows us that he is louder than our failures and that he loves us. Bible scholar Kent Hughes writes in his commentary, Our failures bring us face to face with the weaknesses and the inadequacies that lie within. So that God's strength can be made perfect in our weaknesses. It sounds familiar, right? If you're familiar with Paul... Paul, he writes in his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 12... But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Amen, right? God is louder than our failures and weaknesses. Scripture. Scripture has many people that have gone through multiple moments of failure. And one person in particular stands out. It was always actually it was actually always his nature to stand out. It was always his nature to be the loudest. 
In our text this morning, we will see how through his failures, God was still louder. And that the Lord's voice spoke into his soul and brought him to a place of restoration. So our passage this morning, John chapter 21. And we're going to be focusing on verses 15 to 19 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can pull them out at this time. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you that you can use. If you don't have a Bible at home, it's totally fine. It's okay. Take that Bible home with you guys. Receive it as a gift from us as First Alliance. And we pray and we hope that as you engage with Scripture, that you will encounter Jesus. So, in the Pew Bibles in front of you, it is on page 853. And the word of the Lord tells us this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend of my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Lord, we come before you this morning. And as we worship you through the study of your word, as we worship you through the commitment and just meditation of your word, Lord, we ask simply that you will encounter us. There are those in this room this morning who are coming in with the weight of failure. Those of us who are in this room who are just simply seeking and saying, is this all there is to life? Is to just simply live a life that is defined by my failures? Jesus, I know that you have a word for them this morning. And so, Lord, I just simply ask that, you're, that you will encounter them. Holy Spirit, would you begin your work? We pray all this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. So before we get into this passage, I want to bring us up to speed here to give us some context of what, what led to Jesus asking this guy this question. So for those, again, who, have, who are new or have not read uh, through the Bible before, I want to know that it's okay. You don't need to be a scholar this morning. Don't be shy or embarrassed to ask someone around you for help. Uh, church family, this is a way that we love those around us, right? Is that if someone's in need, we help them out. So uh, again, just want to let you guys know, uh, it's okay. You don't need to know everything. But in 
to give some context to John chapter 21 as we dive into this. So this is what's happening at this moment. In the beginning of John chapter 21, specifically in verse 2, John records that we see this group of disciples. And if you're asking, hey, what's disciples? Well, disciples is simply this. It was a group of men and a group of people that followed Jesus and his teachings. So this group of disciples... We can see that if you want to know a little bit more about them is that you can refer back to John chapter 2 where you see this call of disciples. And this specific moment, it doesn't, it doesn't tell us what they were doing. It doesn't tell us that if they were sitting by a fire. It doesn't tell us if they were doing a push-up competition. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't tell us what they were. Uh, that, that's not the focus, right? What we do find in this account, though, And the other gospel is that this is actually where Jesus tells them that he will meet them. If we refer back to Matthew chapter 28 verse 10, this is where Jesus tells them, I will meet you in Galilee. So the disciples are here. And then our character, who we are going to be focusing on for today, his name is Peter. He gets up and he says, I'm going fishing. So let's hit the pause there before we move on. Who is Simon Peter? So we're going to do a quick character observation here. So if you can imagine you're stepping into this point of view of Peter's life, all right? So how many of us have seen a a, a GoPro video before on YouTube? So a GoPro video, it makes you dizzy. You're like, okay, what am I watching? Um, But for a minute, just bear with me, is that we are stepping into the shoes of Peter, into the eyes and the mind of Peter. So Peter, he is considered to be a professional fisherman. He knew everything that could be known about fishing in that part of the world at that time. uh, Peter was called by Jesus to follow him after Jesus supplied a miraculous catch. So if you want to know about this a bit more, you can read in the early, uh, in the early chapters of the Gospels, uh, specifically Mark chapter 1, Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 5, and John chapter 1. Peter was also among the first two apostles to witness the empty tomb. So after the crucifixion and after three days when Jesus rose, that morning that Jesus rose from the grave, Peter was one of the first ones to see the empty tomb. Now can you imagine that? Is that this guy that you clearly saw being buried and a stone rolled over the grave. And then you hear about this and you run and you see the stone, this, this, this thousand pound stone rolled away. and The tomb is empty. Peter was also the first among Jesus' disciples to identify him as the Messiah. Now this is huge. Again, at the time of what we see when, Jesus made, when uh, Peter makes this statement about Jesus is that he was the first one to declare this. He was the first one to say, Lord, clearly you are the Messiah. This is huge. So let's take note of this, all right? So then also we see in John chapter 13, early on in this gospel account, is that he makes this profession that he will never leave or deny Jesus. Right? So, so, his, so his, his resume is looking pretty good right now. 
He's a professional, professional uh, uh, fisherman. What else? He was the first uh, to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. Some pretty cool stuff here. And then he goes on, I will never deny you, Jesus, ever. He makes a claim even, I will lay my life down before denying you, Jesus. Big, big, bold statement here. And then a few hours later, he goes and denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. Again, just a few hours, he made this proclamation in front of the other disciples. I will never leave you, Jesus. I will never deny you. So let's keep this in mind for our time in the Word this morning. One Bible scholar says this about Peter, is that Peter reflects a leader who is impulsive, ambitious, self-assertive, and quick to commit without fully understanding the meaning of Jesus' words or actions. And if you're saying, man, what else can Peter do? Well, to add on to his resume, I think he's the only guy that cut off a dude's ear. So, this is Simon Peter. So I'll be calling him Peter for the rest of our time. So if you're wondering, well, is there two Peters? No, there's just one. Okay. Uh, so Peter, Peter and the crew, they get up and they go fishing. They're fishing all night long, professional fishermen. And you know how many fish they caught? None. After an exhausting, hot, humid, tiring, unsuccessful night of fishing, they hear from the shores, Children, do you have any fish? They answer no. And then the man from the shore says again, cast your nets again. And then when they cast it, they caught all this, all this, this huge catch. Remember, you know, the fun thing is here is remember that they were professional fishermen and yet they were listening to a guy on the shore coaching them how to fish. You see, this was a similar situation to the calling of Peter that we find in Luke chapter 5. We see in the text that Peter, after one of the other disciples, connects the dots and says, It's the Lord, that's Jesus on the shore. Peter, he grabs his garment, he puts it on, he swims to shore, and let's make a mental note of this as well. He gets to shore and eventually the group, the rest of the group, they get there. And then when they get there, they see Jesus had already prepped a breakfast for them. Good old bread and fish. The best breakfast there is, right? So they sit and they have a meal with him. And this is where we get to our text this morning. During this time around the fire, around the meal, Jesus turns to Peter. This man who said that he would never abandon Jesus. He proclaimed this, this bold statement in front of the other disciples and that he would lay down his life for Jesus. And then, as we know, a few hours later, he denies everything that he ever knew Jesus. That he ever, that he ever knew this man. This man who was his friend, his brother, his savior, his Messiah, the Christ. 
If you're wondering what the Lord said to Peter that made him say such a proud and bold statement, let's see what, uh, what John records in chapter 13. Peter, uh, uh, John records to us, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answers, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, it goes on to record, and just as Peter was denying Jesus for the third time, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord has spoken to him. If you're wondering where this all fits within the the gospel, is that this is the time that's leading up to Christ's crucifixion. So simply put, is that at this moment, as they are sitting around the fire, sitting around and enjoying this meal, there's obviously tension in the air. Can you imagine this? The man who you denied ever being a friend to speaks to you knowing that, knowing what you have done. I'm sure many of us here in this room have sat in awkward conversations and awkward situations where you knew and you felt that there was just tension in the room. You see, at this moment, Peter was in the spotlight. And the spotlight I'm talking about isn't like a spotlight like that in theater where it shows. No, this spotlight was one that just saw right through him. The other disciples didn't see the spotlight, but Peter knew. He was at the center stage. You see, Jesus saw Peter's hidden failure. I wonder is that I wonder if Peter ever told the other disciples that you know when Jesus said that I denied him three times it actually happened. I have a feeling that Peter probably hid that deep within his heart. That Peter hid his failure deep within him thinking that you know what I got everybody fooled. I'm still that guy. I'm still that zealous guy and that's all in for Jesus. He probably thought that he had all the other disciples fooled. But Jesus saw right through him. Jesus saw right through his pride, right through his fears, and right through his shame. You see, when we encounter Jesus, Jesus sees right through you. He sees through your pride. He sees through your fears, through your shame, just as he saw through Peter. But not only did Jesus just see that, Jesus did something about it. He spoke into those areas. So back to our text. We see here, Jesus asks Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? His response, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
Jesus tells him, feed my lambs. This goes on for two more times, a total of three times. And, but we want to focus on this particular first one here. This first question that Jesus asked, do you love me more than these, has had many interpretations. Some scholars believe that Jesus' usage of the word love was from the Greek word agape, which means unconditional. Simply put, Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me unconditionally? But in Peter's response, scholars argue that this love that Peter responds with is phileo, a brotherly love. That's where we get the the, the name Philadelphia, the the city of brotherly love. So in modern terms, Peter's response was, of course I love you, Lord, like a brother. Now, loving a brother isn't always that easy. Uh, Have you grown up with brothers? I'll be honest, there are times where I doubt it. I'm like, man, I just don't know. I still love my brothers, though. They're amazing. I, I miss them dearly. All the scholars who have studied this biblical text do agree, though, that through the Gospel of John, John uses these forms of love, agape and phileo, interchangeably. So it can cause some confusion, but nonetheless, what Peter acknowledges is that Jesus already knows the answer. Peter says, you already know what's in my heart, Lord. So what does this mean? I believe this first question that, Peter, that Jesus asked Peter sets the stage for the other two times that it will be repeated. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul writes this in his commentary. Quote, He who is forgiven much loves much. There is a sense in which the depth of our affection for Christ is related to the depth of our understanding of that which we had, have been forgiven. Peter understood that of all those surviving, he had betrayed Christ more deeply than the rest. Therefore, and being forgiven, restored, and invited back, not only into the fellowship of Christ, but into the ministry of Christ, and rather than being dismissed from ministry for the rest of his life, for, this, for his scandalous transgression, he saw the grace of God more fully than the rest. Quote off. Jesus' voice spoke to the pride of Peter. What do I mean? So remember when we said er, what we said earlier, that Peter's actions, his action was what? To, to, to jump off the boat and to swim. He covered himself up, jumped into the water, swam to Jesus. And maybe in this this moment of him swimming to the shore, he was probably, he gets to the shore and he goes like, out of breath, look Jesus, look at me. I'm still the one that loves you the most. Because I made the most effort to get to you when, I, when we found out that that was you on the shore. Look, I jumped in the water, I grabbed my cloak, put it on, I swam to the shore, saw you, and, 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 and I'm the first one here. So, look, See how much I have strived for you, Lord. And maybe, maybe you can just overlook what I did the other night when I denied you. I still love you, Lord. Here I am. 
You see, we see that Peter was probably trying to cover up this part of his soul. Peter was probably trying to cover up this failure that he has within his heart. But praise be to God, what we see here is that Jesus dealt with that right away. When Jesus turns and he speaks to Peter, Jesus didn't waste no time, right? Jesus looked and he goes, Simon, do you love me? I would like to think that when Jesus said this, his voice struck the wall and knocked down the foundations of pride within Peter's heart and allowing him to get to a place where he, where Jesus can minister to him. Because Jesus loved Peter. In our next two verses, Jesus would ask the same questions again to Peter. And the last time, John records that Peter was grieved. Remember when we mentioned that Peter denied Jesus three times? Here we see Jesus asking Peter three times, do you love me? It was as if every time that he denied, the question of do you love me kind of canceled each other out. And I don't think Jesus was asking this question to be mean or malicious. It was as if Jesus was trying to get Peter back like, hey, the other day you betrayed me three times or or, you, you denied me three times. So how does it feel now that I ask you the same question three times? Doesn't feel good, huh, Peter? It wasn't as if Jesus was doing that. But it was as if each time that Jesus asked these questions, Jesus' voice dug deep into Peter's soul. And the walls and the foundation that he built up around his own failure was torn down. And there was nowhere that Peter could hide. And Peter knew that. And working in in youth ministry and working with, with young adults, is that I have the privilege of always asking them each and every week, how's it going? And sometimes I get the answer, the quick answer, oh, it's going good, it's good, it's fine, all right, cool. And then at times I would go and I would ask again, how's it going? And then they reveal a little bit more about what's going on in their life. Not that much. They still try to make sure that, hey, you know, like, my life is good. I don't need anybody. But then you ask him again, how are you doing? And then this is when they go like, you know what? This guy is intrusive and he's not going to let. So I better just share what's going on in my heart. Because I need help. I need someone to just share and carry this burden with me. This past week, I met with a young adult and I asked him exactly that. I was like, Lord, like, just, hey, what's going on? And and it's funny, the first thing that this young adult said was, I'm good. I'm like, okay. How are you doing? And eventually, this young adult was, I'm actually struggling. 
we can get so accustomed to receiving the simple, I'm okay, I'm doing good answer when we ask how someone is doing. But what if, church, what if we took a minute to actually ask someone how they are doing? Not once, but twice. Maybe three times. However many times that the Lord leads you to ask and to, to come alongside that person. I would like to suggest that each time that the Lord asked Peter, it was like the chisel. It was like a chisel that chipped away at Peter's soul. But then eventually it gets into a place where he was ready to receive restoration. It was only after then that Peter kind of realizes, yo, what's going on? We see that Jesus gives Peter this command to follow me. The Lord in his merciful ways is able to meet you. His mercy and loving voice speaks to the depth of your soul. Even with the loud world around us, his voice will always triumph and overcome the noise. You see, the thing is that Jesus, he speaks to the things that you have deemed as a failure. The things that you hide, kind of like Peter, behind a cloak. And if you, if, if you could track with me here is that who else hid themselves when they were, uh, when they were ashamed? Let's backtrack to the beginning where the, 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 the fall and the sin that Adam and Eve, they've, they, they, uh, committed. What happened? They hid. They were ashamed of their failure in the Garden of Eden. They covered themselves up. They built walls. But what we see in our text here is that Jesus is about, res- about, is, is about restoration. Jesus is about bringing those things into light, not to ever embarrass us, not to ever shame us, not to ever humiliate us, but to bring those things into light so that in a way so that he can smash those things, so that he can bring restoration. Our passage this morning that Pastor Ben read from us, or read for us from Joel. God is in the business of restoration. The Lord, with all of his might and power, is about that. Is that he is about bringing wholeness to who you are. Not because of anything that you can do. Don't get that mixed up. We kind of saw that with Peter, right? Let me see how, how much of a drive I have for Jesus. And maybe from that, Jesus will know how much I love him. And that he can overlook everything. No. He's about bringing wholeness and restoration to you. Not because of anything that you can do. But because that's just who he is. That's just who he is. 
That's his thing. That's his profession. That's the Lord's profession. That is what he is good at. That is his love for you. The Lord extends that invitation to you this morning. I don't believe that you just happened to walk through the doors or you were just driving and you know you had your eyes closed and all of a sudden you made a turn and you ended up here at First Alliance. No, no, I, I don't think that that's what happened. I don't think it was like, oh, it's our routine every Sunday to go. I don't, that might be part of it, but I don't think that was it. I believe that you were here because you wanted and you are here because the Lord wanted you to hear something from him. Maybe those, maybe that word from the Lord is that statement, follow me. These two words, follow me, you see, they, they have power. They have might. They have authority. I don't know what stirs, what is stirring in your soul, within your mind this morning. But if you sense that God is stirring in your soul to respond, to drop the weight of failure that you've been carrying on for so long, I plead with you. Do not leave here carrying that weight out these doors. Jesus' voice is speaking to you to leave those things at the cross where he died on. Jesus is saying, I have made the payment. My voice chisels that wall of pride and shame. And your heart I want that. You see, what the Lord speaks to us, when the Lord speaks to us in this way, it is scary. It can be frightful. But if that is what you are sensing this morning, that's not from the Lord. What we hear from the Lord is, is love, is grace. It's not judgment. His voice is a voice of restoration. And he extends to you, those of us in this room, those of us tuning in, tuning in online, He says, I see through all your failures. I see through all your walls. I see through all those things. And I'm going to break through those things. And as I do that, I want you to experience me in such a way. And he asks. Well, he doesn't ask, but he commands us to follow him. A few weeks ago, we had Pastor Dave Noggle here. And after, 
we were, we were, my wife and I were chatting with him, and he said this, simply this. When we meet the Lord, we will be met with love. Don't ever feel and think that the Lord is there to judge you. Don't ever feel as if the Lord is there to, con- to, to just simply bring those things into light and to embarrass you. No. The Lord loves you. He cares for you. And his voice is louder than our failures and will always be louder than our failures. Lord, we come before you this morning. And Lord, for some of us in this room, we we resonate with that. Our identity is found within our failures. Our identity is rooted in our failures more than it's rooted in our identity in you. Lord, even at times I feel like we idolize our failures because that's where our identity is from. And maybe that's someone that, maybe it's someone in our lifetime that told us that we were a failure. Maybe it was circumstances and and events that happened that made us feel like we are a failure. But Lord, when I look at this text, I look at your word, your word tells us that our failures, Lord, you paid them, you restored us, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that that is the message that we hear this morning. That your voice is louder than our failures. Your voice, your grace, your mercy covers us. And in you, Lord, we are restored. We are restored. Maybe for some of us in this room, we just need a simple reminder of the victory and and. and your grace and your mercy of how you have saved us from then and where we are at now. And Lord, we praise you. If there are those in this room who resonates with carrying this weight of failure, with the, that, that they've been carrying this weight of failure with them for so long, and that they're just tired, they're weary. Jesus, would you encounter them at this time? And that they will drop the weight. They will drop the stress. They will drop those things at the cross. Because you died for them. Because you loved them. Jesus, would they encounter you in your love? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the obedience of Peter. It's easy for us to pick on him. It's easy for us to always point out his flaws, but Lord, one thing that I am encouraged is that what of what you did through his life after. Wow. That you move through Peter in such a way. 
And Lord, we, are, we know this. And Lord, if, if those of us in this room does not know this, Lord, I, I pray that you will remind them that you have something good for them. So Lord, we celebrate. And we thank you again for Peter's obedience. And just his, even as John records and writes this and shares with us his failures, Lord, you remind us that it's a part of how you make us holy. Lord, we thank you for your word and your truth. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.